Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. And uh, yesterday, my wife and I, uh, some friends here in the church, took our uh, boys and gave my wife and I opportunity to, to get away together. And uh, we, had, we went ice skating, we went to a bookstore and read for a while. It was a very Harris kind of a date. And, um, and, and then we got home after we picked up our boys, and um, I, I turned on a little college football, and I uh, was watching a little bit, and then I, I, I must have hit a button, and it took me to a, another channel in which there was a... Uh, a young woman and a young man, and the woman apparently was from the city, and she was finding her way in a uh, in a small town. She was there to to renovate some little hotel and make it some big uh, some big monstrosity. And uh, there was a guy who was really cute, but a rugged guy, and he was chopping some wood. And you know the story, the Hallmark story, uh, uh, where. It's the city slicker, whether it's the man or the woman is coming in to change something in the small community. It's that time of year. And uh, I chuckled to myself and immediately turned it right back to college football. (laughs) And uh, the story, the account that we are about to read this morning, is nothing like a Hallmark movie. Nothing like that. It is, it is far closer to a soap opera than it is to a Hallmark movie. It is filled with conniving. Uh, the only thing that it lacks is like some romance triangle going on in it. Um, it is really a, a difficult chapter to read if we keep in mind that these are God's people. Because we want to read this and we want to think, who are these people? I mean, if these were your friends, you would want to keep them at a distance for as long as you possibly could. And I find it fascinating that the Lord here chooses such people as this to work through. And this should be encouraging to all of us. The Lord isn't merciful only to those who are good In fact, we find Christ himself telling us that he has come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you find yourself feeling particularly guilty or sinful this morning, if you are more aware of your sin today, I would invite you to see that this chapter is for you. As it is for all of us. What I'm going to do this morning is we're going to read through quite a long section. I'm going to begin, actually, with verse 34 of chapter 26. Verse 34 of chapter 26. We are going to read all the way through chapter 27, and then we are going to read the first nine verses of chapter 28. I realize this is a long section. So I'm going to read it all at once. We're going to do a quick recap of it. And then we're just going to reflect on two truths that we see in it. Two critical things that I think we need to see that the author, Moses, wants us to see. That the Spirit of God wants us to see as we grapple through this passage. So follow along as I read. And we will, by the grace of God, see where 
he will take us. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his oldest, his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and and bring it to me that I may eat, that that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I am smooth skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Then he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you have told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come now, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled, this is Isaac, he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely... The smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, 
May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also made a savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren. I have given to him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What, what shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be away from the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. What should I, why should I be bereaved also of both of you in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, this is, this is the Canaanites, like those who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. 
So Isaac sent Abraham, sent Jacob away, and he went to Badan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take himself away from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Badan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. Would you join me in prayer as we begin to consider the word of the Lord this morning? Father in heaven, this is your word. Cause it to be sweet as honeycomb to our lips and to our souls this morning. That we may read it and study it and live. That we may remember that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Help us to this end, we pray, O God. In Christ's name, amen. There, this is a a very long passage, but it is all one unit. I realize it's spread over a couple of different chapters, but it begins with Esau taking a couple of wives and it ends with him taking another wife. And it, it is, it's almost as if those two actions bookend the entire thing. And so it's helpful for us to kind of consider everything that's happening here. And it's also helpful if we'll keep in mind that there are that there are previous promises that are connected with our passage today. Remember Genesis chapter 3, God made a promise to Eve that when, after she, had, after she had sinned against him, that there would come one from her line that would be the, the one who would deliver her and God's people, that would be to deliver mankind from sin and Satan and death. And this one would, would conquer the serpent. And then we think of Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham. And he makes to him some extraordinary promises. And in fact, those are the very promises that are at stake in this passage. And then we think of Genesis chapter 26, which we considered just recently, where these, these same promises are conveyed to Isaac. And now what we find here is that these promises... Back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, they, we were told that they were to be conveyed to who? To Jacob. Not to Esau, but to Jacob. For as the Lord says there, it is the, he has loved the older son rather than the younger son. It will be the older son who rules over the younger son. It will be the younger son who rules over the older son. Pardon me. But those, those four promises, those th- four words of the Lord, they, they form kind of the foundation for what is happening here. And what we find all throughout this passage is, is people living in defiance of God. There is not a character in this story at this moment whom we can hold up and say, Act or live like this person. 
We see Esau, he marries two Hittite wives. He, he follows in the same pattern of an earlier character in Genesis, Lamech, who, who is the first to take to himself multiple wives. And like Lamech, he lives in defiance of God. He disdains God's blessing. He wants this blessing of his father, not because he values a relationship with God, but because he values what it will, what it will give to him. And so he ignores the warnings of Scripture about what marriage to multiple women will look like, departing from God's pattern. He, he ignores that what we see in the Word of God. He ignores the patterns that we see uh, earlier. And he lives in defiance of God. We see Isaac, who intends to bless Esau, despite the fact that it is Jacob whom the Lord has said will be the one to receive the blessings. Isaac loves Esau more than Jacob. Why? We are told because Esau makes good food, the kind of food that he likes. He goes and hunts, and the game that he catches and kills, he makes in such a way that Esau loves Esau is driven by his belly. Now, I'm I'm not sure what this says about Rebecca's cooking, but whatever it is, Esau apparently has got the corner on, on, on making the kind of food that he loves. And though he's going to live 20 plus more years, he loses his sight and he is a Apparently frail enough that he's, a, he's trying to put his, his house in order, his affairs in order, preparing for death. And so he wants to make sure that the blessing has passed on. But he is not just physically blind, he is spiritually blind. Blind to the word of God, ignoring living in defiance of God's word. Going his own way, ignoring the fact that God has told him it will be Jacob rather than Esau who will inherit the blessings. And do you notice how he even manipulates his son? I mean, why, why not at the very beginning of the chapter? Why not simply say, Esau, I would like to bless you. You're, you're the son, my oldest son. I love to eat of your game. I'm going to bless you right now. Why does he make him go hunt? It, it's because he is ruled by his belly. It's because he, he is manipulating his son to get one more thing that he wants from him. He makes the blessing of God into something that must be earned. He's leveraging something he's got to get something that his, his son wants. And so he's, he's like, let's, let's switch here. You give me the food that I like and I'll give you the blessing. Even Isaac is trying to manipulate his son Esau to get what he wants. And he's doing it in defiance of God's word. And then you see Rebecca Rebecca and Jacob conspiring to manipulate Isaac. Isaac, an elderly blind man. Just let your mind settle on that. They They are working together to manipulate and deceive their elderly, blind husband and father. What kind of people are these? And you see Jacob, he, he lies again and again and again. 
Verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. The second half of verse 19, I have done just as you told me. In verse 24, when he's asked, are you really my son Esau? He answers, I am. He, he allows his mother to cover him in such a way so that the smell of his clothes and the feel of his skin gives the impression that he is someone he's not. He lies both with his words and his actions. And, and worse than all of that, When his dad asks, how is it you have killed this game and prepared it so quickly, what is his answer? God allowed me to do it. He is invoking God's name here. That is nothing short of of blasphemy. This is invoking God's name. This is taking God's name in vain. Involving God in his lie. And so Isaac, thinking he's blessing Esau, he he blesses Jacob unknowingly. And the difference between, we saw uh, recently, the birthright being passed on, and now it's the blessing is on the focus. And there's a difference between the two. The birthright is something that would have been inherited. So this was his, his inheritance. The blessing would have been more looking ahead. If the inheritance looked past, what am I going to get when my father dies? The blessing is the promise of this is what God will do for you throughout life and your descendants. The blessing looks forward. And it involves a formal oath, which is why Isaac can't just take it back. Have you, you read that and you're thinking, well, why can't you just change it? It is a formal oath in which he is binding these words to that individual. And what is the blessing that Jacob receives? It is the blessing of a good and fertile land. Verse 28, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. It's a blessing of political power. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. It is the blessing of God's protection. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. The very things promised to him are the very things that God promised to Abraham. And this becomes explicit in verses 3 and 4 of Genesis 28, when he says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of people's May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. The promises of God are being passed down from Jacob, from Isaac to Jacob, just as God declared. And yet what we see also in all of this is the result of the lies and manipulation that is present in this family. I mean, we are, if you, if you grew up in, in churches, as, as I did, I grew up going to church, read often about Jacob and Esau. It was almost as if Esau's kind of, kind of dumb, easily fooled, gullible, not too sharp. He, he's the kind of person that no one feels bad for. I don't know about you, I can't read this chapter and not feel some pangs of sympathy for him. I mean, he's being wronged. 
How much pain would this family have saved themselves had Jacob and Rebekah just been honest? Esau, you know we love you. But God has told us that it will be Jacob who inherits the blessings. And we want you to know that we will always be there to support you. We are proud of you. We care for you. But this is what God has said. We're going we're to live and do what he tells us. We're sorry. But we trust that this is actually what's best for you. Because God, he loves his people and he, he is good. But instead, what we have is Esau, by the end of this chapter, he is a man who's lost. You hear those cries, Oh, Father, do you not have a blessing for me? Here is a man who, who has learned from the very beginning of the chapter. We see he's learned that for his dad's blessing, he's got to work for it. The only reason his dad loves him is because he, he hunts and he prepares special food for him. And when he realizes his dad doesn't, doesn't approve of his wives... What does he do? He goes out and he tries to find another wife, hoping that his dad will approve of her. Here is a man who even as of in his mid-40s, at the very youngest, he in his mid-40s, he's still longing for his father's approval. He's a tragic figure. He's a man in pain. In fact, of all the characters in this chapter, he's the only one who is not outright living in defiance of God. Jacob, for his part, is sent away so he can find a suitable wife. That's, that's part of the reason is Rebecca comes to, to Isaac. Hey, we need to send him away so he can find a good wife. But the other part of the reason that she doesn't share with Isaac, still manipulating behind the scenes, is so that Esau won't kill him won't kill Jacob. And so, you know, Rebecca intends for him to go away so that he, his life will be spared, he'll be able to find a suitable wife. And, and she expects that Esau's anger is going to cool off in a little bit. And she doesn't seem, as she's, as she's talking in this chapter, she doesn't seem like she expects this to be a very long time. A few days, a few weeks, a few months, what's that? I'll have my son back. Just need to give Esau some time to cool off. But the upshot about this, the irony in all of this, is that while we are told that when Jacob returns, he does, it's not just a few weeks, it's 20 plus years. While we're told that he does indeed bury his dad, we are given no indication that he ever sees his mom again. This is a family that by the end of this section is completely shattered. And yet this is the family that God has chosen to work through. These are the people, the scandalous, no good people, that God has chosen to love. So what can we take from all of this? Let me, let us take two reflections. The first, it's right there on the surface of the chapter, but it bears repeating. Brothers and sisters, friends, do 
not lie. It's that simple. Do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not manipulate one another. We see this in the ninth commandment, not to bear false witness against our neighbors. We see this in Leviticus 19.11, you shall not lie to one another. It is all throughout the Old and New Testament. In Proverbs 6, 16-19, we read about several things that God hates. I mean, imagine this, there are things that God hates. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty, proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans. Here's that manipulation. Feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. These are things God hates, and yet we are so prone to to offer up white lies. I mean, are you not in the, in the heat of a moment when it may be either I look bad or I can skate by? Don't we choose to skate by through shading the truth a little bit? Isn't that temptation strong? Husbands and wives, we lie, we manipulate one another. Some of us are, are gifted at making arguments. We know we can outwit or at least out-argue our spouses. So we twist the words of our spouse to say what we know they didn't mean. Or you work out ways to get your husband or wife to, to give you the things that you want. Perhaps, like Rebecca, you even resort to using your children against your spouse. Children, you, you lie to one another. You lie to your parents. A fight breaks out between you and your sibling and you, you lie about it. They did it. They were the ones in wrong. You lie about having finished your homework. Or at least about having done it well. Yes, I studied You tell others that you have done something or know something or have something that you don't. You lie to your parents, your teachers, your friends. But God knows, God sees. We manipulate one another at work. We inflate the cost of materials. We overestimate our hours or our expenses. We misrepresent what we have done. Yes, I I have done this. I've I've made that phone call. I've talked to that person. I purchased that order. Yep, I've, I've done all of those things. And we mean to do it. As soon as we're done, we're we're gonna go do it. But we haven't done it yet. Rather than just admitting, you know what, I I failed to do that, I have forgotten. We, We sacrifice our integrity for 
a bit of saving face. We pass the blame for our mistakes onto other people. Instead of bearing the responsibility ourselves, we, we claim, oh no, they didn't send me the information on time or I haven't received it yet. We lie, we deceive, we manipulate others at our own expense. Purchasing temporary satisfaction at the cost of long-term pain. We, we, we bring short-term gain at the expense of long-term credibility and integrity. Do you see how the lies and manipulations of Rebecca and Jacob and Esau... affect the family. At the root of all of our lives is an arrogant lack of faith in God. Sure, maybe if we were really honest, we would admit that we were being selfish in the moment. Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau. She should have just been more honest. And Jacob was greedy and wanted to be greater than his brothers. Those are the honest. I'm sure they had all sorts of justifications. This is what God said. But at the very heart of their deceptions and manipulations was that they really didn't trust that God could bring about what he said he would. What we see here about Rebecca and Jacob is that in this moment, they, are, they put all their cards on the table. They, they, they are acting, and when we lie, we act with them. As if God needs a little help. As if we, we through our manipulation of events or people or circumstances, we, we can get a more pleasing circumstance. God just needs a little help. And try to cover over our sin, our failures with our lies. Rather than allowing the covering that Christ alone provides to be our justification. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is so elementary for us to simply say, lying is wrong. I mean, that's... Isn't that what we should be just teaching down in the little kids? And yet, isn't this one of those very first stones that, that we ourselves as adults begin to trip over again and again and again if we do not take it seriously? Brothers and sisters, God hates lying. He, it doesn't just displease him. He, he hates it. My hope and prayer is that this text and what we see happening with this family will be a little, will be like a little stone in your shoe on a walk. Have you ever had that? Perhaps you're on a walk and you get a stone in your shoe. What do you, doesn't that just drive you crazy? You got to take that shoe off and figure out, get that, get that stone out. That's, that's what I want this to do. To be a little stone in our shoe to force us to stop, recalibrate, repent, rethink. And we will begin to take deceit and manipulation seriously to hate it as much as our God does. But in all of this, I, I want us to see something else. This is a, a messy family leading messy lives. 
This is not a model family by any stretch. These are not model people. Jacob is not a a model figure for us to emulate. And yet it is through this family that God will work. It is to this family that God has made extraordinary promises. I love the honesty that we have in the Old Testament. That Moses, even as he's trying to tell the people of Israel, this is where you come from. He doesn't just gloss over these areas. He doesn't skip the fact that it is filled with brokenness and sin and shame and lies and deceit. Oh, no, no, no. Moses is incredibly honest about the whole shebang. He he is incredibly honest about all the disgusting darkness that is here found in, in the people of Israel. And it becomes apparent to us that God doesn't love people because they are... They have all their lives together. He doesn't love someone because they come from a a good family. The mistakes of our past, the brokenness of our family, neither your sin nor the sins of others against you threatens the sovereign purposes of God. God has said it will be the older who serves the younger. And Rebecca and Jacob, through their own sin, manipulation and lies, they are trying to work things out on their own. And even through all of their sin, God is at work. Jacob, or rather Esau, Isaac may be ignoring God's word. Rachel and Jacob may be trying to act selfishly for their own benefit. Yet, the sovereign purposes of God move forward. Despite the sinful defiance of Isaac, God will not allow his purposes to be thwarted. He uses the sin and the deceit and the lies and the messiness and the brokenness of this family. He uses it even while they are responsible and will bear their consequences for their action. He is using it all for his glory to to bring about the purposes which he had ordained will be. And this is how God always works. There is messiness in the world and God is not frustrated by it. There is brokenness and sin in the world. And God's purposes and plans are not having to be paused or rerouted. There is is no need for a sign to be put up that that the road is closed and we've got to find another way. There are no detours in the plan of God. God uses the sin of the world to accomplish his glorious purposes. We see that later in the book of Genesis. We will see that again with Joseph, whose brothers sell him into slavery. We'll see that with Pharaoh, whom we're told God hardens his heart, and Pharaoh hardening his own heart as well. And yet even as Pharaoh is defying God, God has said that he is causing that to be the case so that he gets glory in the world, so that the whole world will know that he is the Lord. And that he alone. Perhaps the greatest example we see of God using the sin of humanity 
to bring about His glorious purposes is what we read earlier in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Perhaps you can turn to it in the Bible or open up your study guide, your, your worship guide. And there you, you will see that, that chapter. Follow along as I read. This is Peter preaching. Remember Peter? Weak Peter? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. They saw the miracles of God that Jesus did. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. There it is. God working, delivering up his son for our sin. And how does God do it? You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. There is no greater sin in the world than that of having crucified the Lord of glory. And these individuals, there, they, they nailed the Son of God who had come to rescue and redeem. They nailed Him to a cross. And make no mistake, all of our hands, we are all complicit in that action. For He was hung there for our sin. But there are these individuals who a week before cheered him on. Now they, they crucify him and they cheer for him to be crucified. And Peter doesn't say, this was God, this wasn't you. Nor does he say, this was you, not God's plan. No, God delivered him up and you did it. Even the greatest sin in all the world, was planned and used by God to accomplish His good, sovereign purposes. There is nothing that happens in the world. There is nothing that will happen in your life over which God is not absolutely in control And will not use for your eternal joy and good and glory in his presence. His plans, his purposes, his promises, they they cannot be stopped. That, That is what we see here. They won't be stopped by the lies and the manipulation and the and the obstinacy of Isaac to to get his way. And God will use even the sinful actions of Rebekah and Jacob to accomplish his purposes. And the promises of God for us, they, they are not dependent and cannot be stopped by courts or by politicians or by ballots cast. They cannot be mitigated by the police nor frustrated by what is reported in the media. God is not dependent on any of that. God's purposes and plans for you this next year do not depend one whit on how high inflation gets. They cannot be slowed down by the shipping shortages that we are experiencing. 
They can't be put on hold or held up by layoffs or job loss. They aren't interrupted when we or those we love experience physical or mental health issues. God's purposes and plans aren't interrupted when a deer runs out in front of our car. Or when someone we love passes away. Or even when our family breaks up. At all times and in every way, God is delivering on his promises to us. You see this in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to close just reading these words. Romans 8, 28 to 29. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely also give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you have trusted in Christ, you belong to God and all of his promises belong to you. And there is nothing in this world that can slow them up. There is nothing that will happen in this life that can prevent them from coming to you. Nothing you do and nothing that is done to you. God's purposes will succeed. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. And friend, if you have not tasted of these promises... If you have never looked at Christ and realized that all, your, all that you need is found in him. That he alone has paid for your sin. That he alone is able to make you right with God. That he alone is able to offer forgiveness and peace and joy. And trust in him today. Trust in him today. He is worth it. Whatever it may cost you in this world, 
you will be eternally repaid with infinite riches and wealth that we cannot now imagine. He is worth it. Trust in Christ. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we so often fail to trust you. We fail so often to take responsibility for for our own failures. And so we lie, we deceive. We try to work things out the way that we want them to for our own selfish purposes. And we manipulate. And Father, we confess it all. And we pray that you will forgive us. We pray that your spirit will remind us. And in the moment when we are tempted next to lie, to deceive, to manipulate, that we will step back, we will trust you with it all, and we will be honest. But more than that, oh Father, we pray also that you will teach us to trust you. Every moment and every hour of our lives. Even when we watch the news later this week or today, we read about all that is happening. We find our blood pressure beginning to rise at what may be happening in the world. Father, remind us. Oh God, remind us that nothing can slow up or stop your promises in Christ Jesus. For in him, all of your promises are yes and amen. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.